0: If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Exodus chapter 2. We're going to continue on in our Exodus series. Fellas, can I get the lights up by chance? I just need to be able to see who I'm talking to here. But as a way uh, of review, uh, I just want to revisit the last couple weeks of teaching uh, that we've been uh, studying through the book of Exodus. Uh, We talked about how God made some promises to Abraham, who knows that God is a promise keeper. He told Abraham that he would multiply him exceedingly and that he would make his descendants into a great nation. He told them that he would multiply his descendants. He had one, Isaac, Ishmael, if you want to count him, Uh, but he would multiply his descendants like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And that those descendants would possess the gates of their enemies and that through those descendants, all the nations on earth would be blessed. We'll remember that Abraham gave birth to Isaac who gave birth to Jacob and Jacob wrestled with God and his name was changed to Israel And Israel had 12 sons, and you will know from our previous weeks of study that those 12 sons are now what is known as the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph was Jacob's youngest son, and, and he was not liked by his brothers. In fact, he was hated. By his brothers, and uh, you remember uh, studying that they they really despised him so much, and they threw him into a pit, and they just were going to let him die there. And then they thought, well, we can earn some money, just you know, some pocket change, and they sold him to some Midianite slave traders who were going to Egypt, and those slave traders uh, then sold him into slavery in Egypt, where he spent a lot of his well, the rest of his his life in Egypt, and. you remember Potiphar, he was uh, in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife set him up. She wanted uh, to uh, him to lay with her. She, he refused over and over and over again and uh, eventually she went to grab his cloak and he fled and left his cloak in her hand which she used then to set him up. He eventually got thrown into prison where he spent a lot of years, but even in prison, no matter what he was doing at any given time in his life, we discussed this many times that Joseph excelled and he prospered because he gave everything he had, no matter whether he was in a palace or a prison he devoted his life to pleasing God. And what would happen if we really devoted our life to pleasing God? If everything we did, we worked at with all of our heart, understanding that we were pleasing God and not man. But even in prison, Joseph lived to please God. And as a result of that, he caught the eye of the king and the king ended up making him second in command. He became the prime minister of Egypt and The book of Exodus then picks up, uh, after there's been a famine, Egypt, uh, Joseph has Egypt in good standing, and there's been a famine in Canaan where his family, the brothers that sold him into slavery and the father who thinks he's dead, are still living. And that famine makes them desperate enough (laughs) that they decide they're going to go to Egypt, And try to get some grain because there's lots of grain in Egypt because Joseph is there and he's in charge. The last thing they expected was to meet their brother Joseph, the one who they threw into a pit and then sold into slavery in Egypt. And little did they know he had the power to destroy them. And so they panicked when they saw him and Joseph, you know the story, gave them grace and mercy and much forgiveness, sent them back to get their father, uh, made a place for them to live in Egypt. Pharaoh uh, Joseph had favor with Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said, bring your family back and give them this area. Uh, They can live in in this certain area in Egypt. They can be there with their their sheep because Egyptians did not like shepherds. But because Joseph had such favor, uh, Jacob and his family then got favor as well. And the, the the sons of Israel, Jacob and his twelve sons, began to thrive because God had made a promise to Abraham that his descendants, which Jacob and his sons were, would, would prosper. And that they would, be, they would become a nation. And when Exodus picks up in chapter 1, the nation of Israel we're seeing is beginning to thrive and prosper and multiply. And those 70 people that came out of Canaan into Egypt now have, have multiplied. And we're going to see in the next couple weeks that they have now, when they leave Egypt, are over a million people. So God was keeping his promises. God is a promise keeper. But eventually the Pharaoh who knew Joseph and Joseph had favor with died and then another and another and another. And eventually a Pharaoh rose up who had no knowledge of of Joseph. And I don't believe that that was because he just didn't know about Joseph. I think he just did not hold Joseph and what he did for Egypt in high regard. He had his own plan. And now the Israelites were prospering and they were becoming abundant and powerful and they were rising up and growing mighty. And all of a sudden that Pharaoh who did not regard Joseph took notice and now the Israelites became a threat to him because your enemy will notice when you begin to prosper and thrive. When you get strong and mighty in the Lord, I promise you, your enemy will notice, and he will be threatened by that. That was last week's message. But this Pharaoh was threatened by Israel becoming stronger and stronger, and so he had to put the kibosh on it. And so he devised a plan, and his plan was that he would put cruel taskmasters over them, and he would turn them into slaves, and he would put heavy burdens on them, and he would weary them, he would would beat them down. That's a plan your enemy has in your life, by the way. When he sees you're starting to rise up strong in the Lord, he will put cruel, heavy burdens on you, and he will try to wear you down and beat you down so that you are no longer a threat to his kingdom. But instead of that plan working for Pharaoh, it actually backfired and the Israelites became stronger and stronger and prospered even more because that is what tribulation and trials, when you go through them, looking to the Lord to bring you through, that's what trials and tribulations will do for you. They will make you stronger instead of weaken you. And so the Israelites began to prosper abundantly, even under those cruel taskmasters. And so wicked Pharaoh had to devise an even more diabolical plan, and he decided that he would go to the midwives and he would tell them we need to kill off the the Hebrew children as they're being born. Any boys that are born, I want you to kill. But you see, the, the, the midwives, we learned last week, feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. And so they didn't do what he wanted them to do. So that plan failed. So he had to come up with one even stronger and even more diabolical. And so he decided that he would tell his people, the Egyptians, that if they saw a newborn child of the Hebrews, from the Hebrews, that they should kill, they should throw that baby in the Nile, if it was a boy, and murder it, drown it. And that is where this story picks up in chapter two. That's where we're going to begin uh, our story tonight. It's at that time that the story of Moses really picks up. And we've been talking throughout uh, our weeks of study about providence and how the word providence, we, that's, it, it forms from two words, pro and video. It's to see before. Can I just tell you what? That God sees your life before it happens. He's not surprised by what's happening right now in your life. Before you were born, the Bible says, before you were born, Patty, before you were born, God knew you. From the day of your birth, He has made mention of your name. He put a call and a purpose in your life before you were ever born. Before you were a thought in your mama's mind, He knew you. And He put a call in your life that only you could do, a destiny that only you could fulfill. That's his plan for your life. You are not here by accident. My goodness, you are not here for the next good sale at Macy's. You are not here to go to work Monday through Friday and slave your life away. You are here because you've been purposed by God and you have a destiny to fulfill for him. And he is working, he has seen before his plan for you. And he is working to bring about that plan and that purpose and to accomplish that destiny in your life. But your enemy has seen it as well. He knows that God has a plan for your life and he wants to interrupt that plan. But there is a place of great rest when you approach life like Joseph saying, I don't care if I'm in a pit or if I'm in a palace, I am going to serve you well, Lord. I'm going to bring you glory because I believe you're working that plan, that destiny to fulfillment in my life. And I trust you more than I trust my circumstances. What would happen if we really believed that? As we study through chapter two tonight, I want you to put yourself in the story. What? I want you to put yourself in the story. You can imagine the Israelites, God's people, who have been enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. Can you imagine? 400 years of slavery, 400 years of cruel, cruel slavery. Of being burdened and mistreated. 400 years of calling out to God. Crying out to God. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Some of us can go a year crying out to God. And we're like, you don't love me Lord. You're not there. Don't don't you care about me? I can imagine they were probably accusing God of not caring. Or being absent in their lives. One commentator said God were asleep at the wheel. Have you ever felt like God was asleep at the wheel of your life? But we know from Genesis 15 that God had already told Abraham, this was not taking him by surprise. God had already said to Abraham, Your descendants are going to be enslaved for 400 years. Do you know that if God said it, it's going to happen? And so those Israelites were not going to get out of there any earlier than 400 years because God had made a promise, and he's a promise keeper. And so we are reaching the tail end of that 400 years. And along with the promise that they would be enslaved for 400 years was the promise of God that he would judge the nation that had enslaved them. And that Abraham's descendants would emerge from that land with many possessions. Can I tell you, I don't know what has you enslaved right now, but I know the God who can deliver you. And when he brings you out of that place, you will come out making your enemy regret the day he ever tried to enslave you. And you will leave there prospering into a land of abundance because that's how my God works. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? It might feel like 400 years to you, but I promise you, God is a God of deliverance. He has not changed. So, 400 years of crying out to God, 400 years of seemingly silence, not realizing God was working. Have you ever been there? Feeling like God doesn't care, He doesn't see, He's not acting on your behalf. But I want you to be absolutely sure of something tonight that God is not asleep, and that He is not ignoring your cries, and that the God who loves you so much that He's numbered the very hairs of your head think about that. God has numbered the very hairs of your head. That's how important you are to him. Every tear you've ever cried, he keeps in a bottle. That's how important you are to him. And the God who has numbered the hairs on your head is working out your deliverance at just the right moment, at just the perfect time, and he can be trusted no matter how hard your circumstances might feel or might appear, that he can be trusted to bring you out into a land of abundance once again and make your life prosper but we have to remember that god's ways are not our ways if you miss everything else i say tonight don't miss this i so want it i have a bag of potting soil in my laundry room right now because my intention was to fill up bags uh, sandwich bags full of potting soil and give you each a bag on your way in the door tonight my life has just been way too busy the last week and I hadn't, I just didn't get a chance to put that in bags for you. But imagine if you had received a bag of potting soil when you came in the door tonight. Imagine how powerful it would be right now to hold that because I, I just want to give you a picture. You know, you see, God says, my ways are not your ways. My, my thoughts are not your thoughts. He says, actually, my, my, my ways and my thoughts are, are so much better than yours. They're, they're so much higher than yours. You have to trust me, he says. Your ways are not mine. Mine are so much more excellent, you can't even imagine. Leah, what's the scripture? The foolishness of God is wiser than the, the, than the wisdom of man. And yet we think we're so smart, but his ways are so much better even than ours. One of my favorite scripture, David himself told us, he knows how we are formed and he remembers that we are dust. The reason I wanted to give you potting soil when you came in here tonight is Chuck Swindoll says, I love this quote, God understands that we were created out of a few pounds of garden soil and it would do us good to remember the same thing that we are simply dust in the hands of a gardener that we are clay in the hands of a potter and who is the who is the clay to say to the potter this is how i want you to form me we need to need to submit to those trustworthy hands do you understand that he looks at you? He's not expecting a whole lot from us. I'm sorry, but he's not. And when you are in that pit, when you are in, in that, that the place of slavery and you are crying out to him and you don't know how you're going to deliver yourself and you keep trying and trying and trying, he just wants you to remember that you are dust and that he has you and that he is working in ways you can't even imagine. Stop trying to imagine it and just trust. And that his ways are so much better. And he's got a plan and a purpose that you couldn't figure out if you tried. Can you just submit and trust? Can you trust the one who is absolutely trustworthy? As we begin begin in Exodus chapter 2, Acts 7 tells us, it breaks down Moses' life. We're going to begin to talk about Moses' life in in Exodus 2. And Acts 7 says that the life of Moses can be divided into three 40 year segments. 40 years he spent in Egypt, 40 years he spent in Midian, and 40 years he spent in the wilderness with the children of Israel. Uh, do the math there. He spent two years in preparation for every year of ministry. You see, we so want God to use us, and yet we, we don't, we fight against the preparation time. Dwight Moody, uh, one of my, I just just think he's just a great man. And uh, Dwight Moody said uh, that Moses spent his first years thinking he was somebody, the second 40 years learning he was a nobody, and the third 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. So Moses spent the first 40 years in Egypt thinking he was somebody, the second 40 years in Midian realizing he was a nobody and the last 40 years of his life in the wilderness with the Israelites discovering what God can do with somebody who realizes they are potting soil in the hand of a gardener and that's the life of Moses that we're going to begin to study this passage in Exodus is a narrative is what we call a narrative it's a story and we're just going to begin working through it tonight, just verse by verse, and I'll give you a little uh n- n- a little narrative that goes along with it. I'll kind of explain verses as we go. I said to Dave, this is why I hate doing a book series because I, I really, last week, I loved the message. I loved being able to give you a punch, give you something to walk away with and just be overwhelmed by God's goodness. And, and this week, it's kind of a boring story. And I'm like, Lord, I've got to cover it because it's so important. And, and, and I, I wish I had a punch that I could send you home with and that you would take your breath away. And I'm sorry to say it doesn't, it's not gonna have that. But bear with me because next week, <laughs> next week is the punch week. But we have to do this week to get there. So Exodus chapter 2, and Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it's powerful and it's active and it, it never returns void. And Lord, that you're going to awaken our soul and you're going to open up our ears to hear And Lord, your word is going to go forth in this place and prosper for the very thing you sent it to do. I pray for a now word, a rhema word, a ready word that will pierce hearts and minds and make immediate application to lives in this place. I thank you, Lord, for who you are, that you are the living word. And I pray that you would bring your word to light tonight and that you would illuminate it in our hearts and our minds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter two, verse one. And a man of the house of Levi went and took a wife as a daughter of Levi. Now remember the background here, that Pharaoh has issued an edict that every child who is born is going to be thrown into the Nile and murdered, every Hebrew child. And so can you imagine giving birth to a child under that edict? I said to Dave, I'm shocked. I I would have said if I was married to somebody, we are not having a child. We're we're just going to skip it because I'm not going to watch my child get thrown into the Nile. Uh, Anybody with me? So I'm shocked that we read there, a man of the house of Levi went and took a wife, a, a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bore a child. I'm thinking, what were you thinking? But what strikes me in this is that life goes on. Life goes on. They are in the li- they're living in the middle of oppression, in the middle of cruelty. And-, and yet we see that life continues on. That we have a marriage that took place. We have a child that was conceived and that strikes me. Life doesn't stop because of pain. It continues on. And so a man of the house of Levi, and that's really important that you see that right there. That's not just to fill in uh, and and give a little more flavor to your story. It's really important that you understand that this man was from the house of Levi, as was his wife. Now, you'll recognize the name Levi is one of Jacob's 12 sons. So it's it's the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi was the priestly tribe. Are you with me? And so right away, the writer of of Exodus, which I said was who? Moses himself is describing his life and he's making sure that you understand that both his mother and his father came from the priestly, pure Levitical uh, blood, that he was an, an Israelite. Even though he was raised as an Egyptian, he was an Israelite, and he's setting that tone from the the very start. This is Moses' mother and father, and and notice they aren't named. What surprises me is the Pharaoh's not named, the Pharaoh's daughter's not named, but the two midwives were named. We don't see Moses' mother and father named, but we see Moses' name. Do you see how names become important to pick up on who's named and who's not? So we don't know their name here, but we discover I think it's in chapter six or seven, we discovered that Moses' mother's name is Jacobed, and that his father's name is Amram. And they both are from the house of Levi, and that's important, as I said. And so verse two says, "The woman conceived and bore a child, and when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him. For three months. Notice that word beautiful there. It's, it's used in the Genesis uh, creation account when God said, Let there be light, and He said, It was good. And God created animals, and He said, They were good. Everything He did, there was a divine edict or a divine verdict that went through about what He created. Immediately He created something, and immediately He would add, and It was good. It was beautiful. It was perfect. It was pleasing. And so that, that word was always used over and over in Genesis uh, in divine verdicts. And so when, when Moses was born, his mother took one look at him and said, that is not an ordinary child. He's a goodly child. That word. God saw that it was good. The divine verdict was issued. Can I just tell you that God looks at you and he says you're good. One of my favorite scriptures is that before I was born, you see, I was conceived of an adulterous affair that my mother had. Can you imagine? Can you imagine an adult woman who now realizes that the man who raised her was not her father and then to find out that the man who was my father, uh, it, it was, he was, I was conceived in an affair he had with my mother. Can you imagine the shame that comes with that? Everybody in my small town knew it, everybody but me. Can you imagine the shame that came with that? But one day I was studying the word of God and the Lord gave me the scripture that said before you were born, I knew you. And from the day of your birth, I made mention of your name. Do you know what the word made mention means? It means I found you worthy to be praised. Oh dear ones, can I just tell you, I don't know what the circumstances about your birth was, but let me tell you what God says. God says that before you were born, he called you. I may have been the result of two people's sin, but God, God decided I would be born. God did. I wrote I wrote in my Bible when I was growing up and it said, God did not ordain the sin, but he ordained the child. He ordained the child because before I was born, God knew me. And from the day of my birth, he made mention of my name. That means he found me worthy to be praised. Can I tell you what? You are not an ordinary child. You've been created by God, knit together in your father, in your mother's womb. He purposed your life. I don't care how you were born. I don't care who thought you were good or who thought you were bad. Can I tell you what God says about you? And you see, if we start living with what God says about us instead of what man thinks about us, we would be a lot better off. Before you were born, God called you. And on the day that you were were born, he made mention, he found you worthy to be praised. You see, that mama took one look at that baby, and she knew, and I believe in her heart, because she was she was a, a, a godly woman, and we know that from Hebrews, but she knew, I believe. That this baby was born for a purpose. That God had a plan in his life. And she was going to protect him with everything that she had. Can I just tell you something? I I shouldn't tell this yet. But I'm going to. I'm going to be a grandma. I am so excited. I can just hardly even stand it. It's the hardest secret I have ever had to keep. But I'm just going to tell it tonight. I'm just going to ask forgiveness later. but, But you need to know. You need to know that I've been praying for that baby for all my grandbabies for so long, have I not, Dave? And you see, I don't just pray, I, I, I just began to say, Lord, before they were born. <laughs> they're, they're not even talking babies yet, but Lord, I thank you that before my grandbabies are born, you're gonna know them. And I'm asking that you would handpick. And I'm not just asking for any baby, Lord God. I'm asking for a world changer. I'm asking for a kingdom advancer. I'm asking for somebody who's gonna love you. With every ounce of their being and put it in Brooke's womb. And I'm calling it forth in Jesus' name. It, this is not how I pray, Dave. This is how I pray. And, and I said, Lord, I just don't want any baby. I don't want an ordinary child. Because before that baby's born, you've known it. Before they were ever thought in Brooke and Steve's mind, Lord God, you have known that child, so I'm asking you pick it and you put it in that womb. And I promise you with all of my heart, we will raise it in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and we will send it out to do destruction on the kingdom of the enemy. Yeah. You see, we've got to get smart in how we're praying. We've got to get smart in how we understand life and what we're here for. You are not here. For pure enjoyment. I, I'm sorry to break it to you. That's right. That's right. That's right. There's a purpose for your life. You are a mouthpiece for God. You are the only Bible that some people are ever going to read Every time you interact with somebody, you should leave a little bit of Jesus behind. People should be able to look at you and say, there is something different about them. I don't know what they have, but I want it in my life. Do you know that you were born to bring God glory in everything that you say and do? That is our purpose. Why are we wasting our life on garbage that has no eternal value and does not matter in the long run? There's a purpose. And you see, Jochebed knew that. She looked at that boy and she said, you're going to use this boy. We need delivering, Lord. We need a savior. And Lord, I've asked you to just give him to us, Lord. And we're going to protect this baby. And I think she knew it. And so the word says that she hid that child for three months. But when she could no longer hide him. Because babies cry, do they not? And I just can't even imagine she probably could. I, you know, one commentator I read said she probably lived in fear that every time he cried that some if somebody from the Egyptian uh, echelon were going to come and, and take this baby and drown him. I'm sorry, but I don't believe that. Because if you look over in Hebrews chapter 11, it says that Moses' parents make the, the faith chapter because they did not fear the edict of Pharaoh. So turn over there because I want you to see it. It's in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. It says, By faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict, <laughs> I, I don't think she lived full of fear. I, I don't think she worried about every time he cried. I think she really believed that that she would she would didn't need to live in fear. Oh, I, I read this quote this week. I just thought it was really really good. It says, "Feed your faith, and your fears will starve to death." But the same is true: feed your fears, and your faith will starve to death. You see, faith is total trust in God. It is confidence that God is who he says he is and he's going to do what he says he will do. And I think she had faith. I think she feared God more than she feared the edict of Pharaoh. And so the word says that she refused to be afraid of the king's edict. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark, a bulrushes, this is verse 3, for him and dabbed it with asphalt and pitch and put the child in it and laid it in the reeds by the river bank and it's interesting that word ark is the exact same word that's used for Noah's ark exact same word and so uh, it's such a picture there. I wish I could park. I, I said to Dave, one of my, my biggest downfalls as a, as a preacher, and I have many, but my big one is when I see something like this, I want to park on it and just preach it till I'm blue in the face. And, and Dave is, is, is a master at just succinctly going down through a passage and doing a snippet here and a snippet there. Well, I get stuck. And if I were to get stuck, it would be on this right here tonight because it's so good. The fact that this is the very same word that's used for Noah it just ties Moses' birth with Noah. Do you see the tie between the both between the two of them? Because both were big time players in God's redemption story. Both were saved from drowning in waters. Both were 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 um, uh, protected inside of an ark. And both were used to bring salvation to humanity. There's so many ties. It's so good. But but that word ark there is that exact same word. Now, I want you to remember that the Nile was full of crocodiles. And it was full of poisonous snakes. Can you imagine this mama having to put her baby, her newborn baby, in those waters? And so she, she built this ark and, and she covered, she waterproofed it with pitch and tar and, and so that no water would seep in. Now, it wouldn't have been nearly as big as Noah's, but it was big enough to hold that baby. And then the Bible says she placed it in the reeds. Oh, I don't think, you know, I always had this picture of this ark floating down the Nile and people saying, hey, look at that ark. Uh, that's not how it was. If you look at the verbiage there, it says she placed Him in the weeds, in the reeds. She carefully placed it there. If you look at the voice, one of my favorite translations, it says she wedged it in the reeds. She knew exactly, I believe, she knew exactly what she was doing. You say, well, Rhea, how do you know that? Well, look at the next verse. It says, "Um, but once she could no longer hide him, she took this ark and she laid it in the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what, could be, what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walk along the riverside, and when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. She had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrew's children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Now, I just don't think any of that's by accident. Because number one, look how close they must have been to the Pharaoh's residence. Because they put him in the reeds right there and Miriam. Moses's sister was available to be able to go and watch him. So they wouldn't have been far from the residence. And so I love, remember, Pharaoh had issued an edict. Everybody was listening for crying babies. And I love that she didn't fear. I love that Jochebed wasn't all worried. That's what Hebrews tells us. And And the the Bible says that she created this ark, and she placed him in the reeds. And I think she knew. I think she knew that Pharaoh's daughter went there to bathe. I think it was planned out. And the Bible says she wedged that that ark in the reeds. She knew that that baby would be crying. And then she sent Miriam out with it. Now, what kind of mother, if she believed a crocodile was going to eat that ark and and smash that baby in its jaws, or if a venomous snake was going to strangle that baby, or if somebody from the Egyptian uh, people were going to find that baby and drown him, what kind of insane mother would send their little daughter out to watch it take place? She wouldn't. She wouldn't. Not even the most cruel mother I know would do something like that. The reason that Miriam was there, if if Jochebed did not believe that God had this child, she never, ever would have sent Miriam to watch it. I think they knew what was going to happen. I think she had such incredible, utter, complete trust in God that he would take care and perfect all that concerns her. She said, Miriam, let's go watch this. Just watch what happens. You see, that ark is a picture of the protection of God. That's what it was for Noah. You get in my protection. You do as I say. You get in my covering, my protection, and I'll protect you from everything going on around you, from the flood that's going to take place around you. And I will keep you safe in that ark. And when she put him in the ark, using the same word that, that it was used for Noah's ark, what she was saying is, God, I'm putting him in your protection right now. I am trusting you with him. And you see, she did what she could do. She kept him for three months. She nursed him. She kept him close to her. But when she could not hide him any longer, she had no choice but that to trust God with him. And you see, that's a word for some of you tonight. Do what you can and then trust God. Release them in into the care of God's capable hand. See, some of you are micromanaging a situation and you're worrying so much about your children and you're trying so hard to protect them, but you've come to the end of your resources and there is absolutely nothing more you can do but put them in the ark of protection. God, I trust you. I trust that you have them even when I can't see them anymore, even when I can't protect them anymore. I'm gonna trust that you have them. And that's what Jacob did. And and Miriam's watching all of this take place. And and the Bible says that, 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 that Pharaoh, this is Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh, the cruel Pharaoh who issued the edict to begin with. This is his daughter in defiance to his edict. Saying, go get that. It's a baby. She had compassion on him. And then Miriam, she's so clever. Do you want me to go find a mother to nurse him for you? That was very common in in this time. And, And so, you know, they would have had all kinds of wet nurses available because, remember, all these mothers have had newborn babies that have been killed in the Nile. So there would have been a lot of lactating women. So Pharaoh's daughter's like, sure, go get them. And she sprints to go get her mama. And this mama, this is, this is my God. He doesn't just now let her have her child back protected because now she doesn't have to fear the edict of Pharaoh because she's keeping him for Pharaoh's daughter and she's getting a wage to do it. <laughs> I just love my Jesus. Do you just not love how he works? I just love how he works. You know what? Could you not only just raise him for me? Could you, like, have the most formative years in his life and nurse him for me? And, you know, and then, you know, you're slaves. <laughs> then when you're done nursing him and, you know, raising him in the Hebrew religion, because she would have had a lot of years to tell him about the Hebrew God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, 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 Jacob and you can give him back to me, and you know, because you're living in slavery, and your life is miserable, and that son of yours, he'll come into Pharaoh's household, get the best education. Do you understand that the Egyptians had the best education ever? That they were known for their education we're going to educate him for you, and we'll put nice clothing on him, and he'll have the best food and the best care, <laughs> and, and he'll be raised in Pharaoh's courts, so he'll know the ins and outs of the Egyptian courts. Oh, God was working. You see, some of you right now in your life, like things seem so bad, and, and it seems so hopeless, and all you can do is think about the Nile and all, that, all the bad that awaits there, and, But you're not understanding that if you just trust God, he will do immeasurably more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. That's who he is. That's who he is. But it all comes down to without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because those who believe in God must believe that he is. And that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Because without faith, without total trust in God, it's impossible to please him. It's an invitation to trust. And so scripture says that, that she goes and gets him and, and, and that, that Jochebed <laughs> nursed him and the child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, which actually is really kind of funny because I read so many commentators about this because they all seem to disagree. And they say, she said, because I pulled him out, I'm going to call him Moses. But most commentators say it's an Egyptian woman who chose a Hebrew name. And the Hebrew name means one who calls out. It was prophetic. She didn't even know it. That she was was raising the one who would call God's people out of Egypt back into the promised land. Oh, I love my God. He's so awesome. Verse 11, now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting, and he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? Then he said, who made you prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. Now, lots, there's so much there that I can't even, I can't even tell you. I wish I could park longer and, and talk to you about that. But um, as Moses grew... He went back and he became Pharaoh's daughter's child. He was raised in Pharaoh's household. Uh, Acts seven twenty-two says that Moses learned the culture and the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he became a powerful man, and both as an intellectual and as a leader. So uh, he he grew up in Pharaoh's household, and then the day came when uh, I think it's Hebrews said that it came into no, it's Acts chapter seven, verse twenty-three. Now, when he was 40 years old, it came into Moses's heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. I love that. It came into his heart. Who do you think put that into his heart? <laughs> I think it was God. It came into his heart to go visit his brethren. Now, the slaves were in a different area, and and and. Moses could have lived forever and never had interaction with them. Remember, they had cruel taskmasters over them. And and so Moses never had to interact with them, but it came into his heart. And notice it said to go visit his brethren. Moses didn't forget who he was. Growing up in Pharaoh's household, exposed to everything he would have been exposed to in the finery he would have been living in, he did not forget who he was. And so he went, it came into his heart to go visit his brethren. And when he saw them, when he saw the misery of his people, I believe he was burdened for them. And I believe that he began to realize who he was. That the call that had been placed in him before he was ever born became to get stirred and became alive in him. Something was rallied in him that he knew that he was the deliverer. That he knew that he had been raised for a purpose. Can I tell you? You have been raised for a purpose. God is working situations and circumstances in your life that will empower you, that will equip you for what he's called you to do. And instead of fighting against the circumstances, there are some of you in this room who I know your past. I know what you've been through. And I just want to tell you tonight that that is part of the preparation in your life. That God is taking what the enemy has meant for evil and he's turning it around and he's using it for good to build you and to, to, to equip you for the call of God that's on your life. So stop coulda, woulda, should shouldas. Stop wishing life could be different. Stop wishing that you hadn't had to go through that and instead say, God, use it. Use it. Every heartache, every heartbreak I've ever been through, every difficult situation I have ever lived in, I have said to the enemy out loud, You are going to regret the day that you ever brought this across my path. You have got to get smart in the way you fight. You have to understand that whatever the enemy has brought across your path, God can turn it around and use it for good. And you see, that's what was happening in Moses' life. The 40 years in Egypt. Now we're going to see he's going to go 40 years into Midian. And God was going to use all of it to equip and qualify him. But he felt this burden and he knew he had this call. But you see, the the difference is when we know we have a call, but we aren't equipping ourselves and doing what needs to be done to, to walk out that call properly. So many of us jump into ministry or we jump into what we think God is calling us to do because we so want the platform, but we don't understand what it takes to get equipped to do that job. People say to me, Ria, you've had more pain in your life than anybody I've ever known. Do you know why? So that I could stand in a platform and declare the praises of the Lord, not because I studied the scripture, but because it studied me, because I learned that I had to apply it to my life and walk it out. And now when I preach it, I don't preach it because I studied it. I preach it because it works and I've, I've realized it. I've lived it out and I know for a fact It works. And you see, if we shun that kind of pain, and if we shun the hard stuff in our life, and we fight against the wilderness, I promise you, God wants to use those things to equip you, not to kill you. And so Moses, he's thinking he knows the mind of God, but remember, his ways are not our ways. Moses, you're just dust. Can you just wait for God? And, but he didn't. And he saw the, the Hebrews and, and how they were being mistreated. And, and he, he kills an Egyptian. I think he was, I think he was uh, hotsy-totsy. I think he was tough. The more I'm studying his life, the more I realize he was not somebody you wanted to mess with. You see, we, we think about he, Moses. What do we know about his speech? He's a stutterer. And I've always, like, had this wimpy idea of Moses. I don't know where I got it, but I did. I kind of, like, was, hmm. You pick him. You really want to show your power, God, don't you? But, but the more I study, I'm like, I, I think he was a tough dude. I really do. I think he was, I, I don't think he messed with Moses. He was what? He was a general, yeah. And, and so he, he kills this guy. He Just the word is he's just fighting him, but he kills him. He was just going to beat him, but he ends up killing him. And then he's like, oh, but you see, commentators say it was premeditated and that Moses had an anger issue because he looked left and right to see if anybody was there. And then he killed him and then he buried him. I don't think that's true. I don't. As I study it, I realize that the, he looked around to see if anybody, do you see the scripture there where it says he looked? Um, he looked this way and that way. But if you turn over to Isaiah 59, 16, I found the exact same phrase. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one, and he was appalled that there was no one to intervene. It's the same word. I think Moses looked. He's seeing a Hebrew be beaten by an Egyptian, and it's unfair and it's unjust. And I think he looked to see is someone going to do something? Is anybody going to do something here? Are you going to intervene? And so when he saw that there was no one, he intervened. And I think he just meant to stop it, and he got a little carried away because he's a tough guy, and he killed the guy, and then he buried him. And the next day he goes, he goes back, and, and I mean, I, it says in Acts or in Hebrews, it says, Moses thought his brothers would understand that he was the one that was going to deliver them. Yay. And instead he goes, and they say, who are you? Who appointed you, prince, over us? I'm thinking Moses is like, I was just trying to help you. What are you doing fighting each other? That's the church right now. Can I just tell you? I I just need to stop right there because I feel that in my spirit, and I just need to say that. I hope I don't ever hear it in here, but I just need to tell you, I've about had it with the church And, and fighting and wounding each other. Wounding each other. Fighting against each other instead of lifting one another up and encouraging. It's it's ministry against ministry and pastor against pastor. It's craziness. We are all on the same team. So anyway, they say, who points you? Moses, like you're fighting against each other. We can be a force to be reckoned with. And Moses is getting the picture, but nobody else is. And and so he goes back and he realizes that this has been found out. Now, when he killed the Egyptian, who was there? He looked around and saw no one. So who was there when he killed the Egyptian? The Egyptian and who else? The Hebrew, two people. Moses kills the Egyptian. Now there's one person who's left. So now everybody knows who told. <laughs> the guy he saved. I'm like, wow, that, was, that had to hurt. And I think that this Egyptian official official, suddenly comes up missing. <laughs> the last person they saw him with was this Hebrew. So now he's dead. Who are they going to blame? One well, me. It was that Moses guy. He did it. And I think that's how it got out. And so now Pharaoh's known. Pharaoh knows. And he wants to kill Moses. And Moses flees. And he heads to Midian, and he gets to Midian, and the Midianites were, they, they were the daughter, I said, the wife of Abraham, I think. The wife or the daughter of Abraham, the Midianites come from that, that line. So they were distant relatives to the Israelites. And so he goes and he sits by a well, and he sees these seven daughters of Jethro, are real, uh, um, at the well with their sheep and they're filling up the bucket, the troughs, and they're working hard to fill up the troughs. And all of a sudden these shepherds, you know, and it, it, the way it's worded in the Hebrew, it means it was their pattern. It was what they always did. They uh, force, the word says, they, let's look at it. It's in um, verse 17. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. So these these shepherdess were there, these seven daughters, and they were watering their sheep, filling the the troughs up with water. And there were other shepherds there, male shepherds, who then drove the women off. And the word is by force. And they would then not have to fill up the troughs. And they would use the water that the women had just (laughs) labored to fill up. And they would feed their, they would water their sheep. And then the women would have to come back later, fill up the troughs again. And this was the pattern. And we know it was the pattern because look at this. Look when they go back to tell their dad what happened. He said, how is it that you've come home so soon today? In other words, they must do that to them every single day. And Moses the soon-to-be deliverer sees it. He sees an injustice, so we're seeing his heart. Do you see how we're starting to see the heart of Moses as a deliverer rise up? He sees an injustice and deals with it, overcomes it, helps the people, does what's right. And already we're beginning to see a picture of Moses and his heart as a deliverer. And so the, 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 the girls go back to their father, real, which means... Um, friend of God, so we know that he was a priest, so God again, providence, he's setting everything up, he's sending him to Midian, he's putting him in the house of a priest, who's going to now continue the spiritual training, he offers his daughter Zipporah to Moses, they have a child, the child's name means that I've been a stranger in a foreign land, and it's past tense, and so what he's saying is, you know what, I've lived 40 years in Egypt, and I was a stranger there. It wasn't where I was supposed to be. It wasn't where, where I should have been. I'm a stranger in a foreign land. But now I am beginning to understand who I am, whose I am, the call and the mission that's on my life. And I am no longer going to live a stranger in that foreign land. I know who I am now. And we see that just in the name of his child uh, when we see in verse 23 uh, that, or 22 that he has a child, Gershom. I've been a stranger in a foreign land. And now he ends up in Midian. The father offers him a place to stay. And the Bible says that he was content to stay there, which makes me chuckle. Because now we're going to see in chapter three that he's a shepherd. Now, what was he raised as? An Egyptian. And what were shepherds to an Egyptian? An abomination. <laughs> I just love God's humbling. Isn't that cool? So now, now Moses is going to be a shepherd. And, but here's what really, in closing, what really bothers me is over and over, we see Moses' story, Moses' life. I, I, I titled this message Set Back or Set Up because what, what really struck me as I began to study this is that we look at our life and the things that happen in our lives and we think, God, what are you doing? And, and, and you know, this isn't the way I thought my life would turn out. This isn't the person I thought I'd be married to. This isn't the way I thought my life would turn out. This isn't where I thought I would be living. This isn't the job I thought I would be doing. This isn't the, the friend circle I thought I would have. This isn't the way I thought my life would turn out. What are you doing, God? And over and over, I see that in this story already in Exodus. And we're going to see it even more as we continue through the book of Exodus. But here's what I want to tell you. It is that place of surrender. It's that place of realizing that God is in control. That he is a providential God. That he's working in ways you and I can't even understand it. Maybe you're in the backside of a desert right now like Moses was. Or, or maybe you're in, you know, having a old time in an Egyptian household and everything's good in your life. But no matter what is taking place, no matter what's happening, no matter how many failures. Do you know how many failures Moses had? Do you know how many things he did wrong? Just in the story we looked at today. And yet God redeemed every one of those failures. God will redeem every failure you have ever had happen in your life. Every mistake you made, every wrong you did. I promise God is a God of redemption. He will redeem that thing and use it for good if you just begin to embrace his call and his purpose for your life. That's what we see in Moses' life. A life that in one moment it might not seem like God is working, but he's not wasting one moment. He didn't waste being raised in an Egyptian household. He didn't waste three years of being nursed by his mother. He didn't waste the, the, the um, shepherding in Midian. And we're going to see he's not wasting one bit when we come back next week. God is doing something. He's preparing you. He's got a purpose in your life. This story, this chapter ends with a note of uncertainty. Uncertainty. But we know the rest of the story because we know the life of Moses. But if you didn't know the rest of the story, you might be tempted to believe that Moses is going to live happily ever ever after in Midian. But we get to the end of the chapter and we realize that the king of Egypt died. And the Israelites now begin to cry out. And the Bible says that God heard their cries. He knew their pain. There's actually four, uh, four, I think, Uh, verbs there he heard he remembered he saw and he knew and we're left as we end chapter two wondering what God is going to do so stay tuned next week as we enter chapter three and we we're going to talk about what it means to have an encounter with God a supernatural encounter with God that absolutely changes and impacts your life I just want to close with just one quote from James Boyce, one of my favorite commentators. He says, God can teach us through the failure of our own plans that He is capable of working for us and in us in, in spite of us. Only after we fail do we become aware that it is God, it is God and not ourselves who's working. Only after we fail do we become aware that it is God and not ourselves who's working. God is the redeemer of all things, not some things. I don't know what your life looks like. I, I don't know if you're in the backside of a desert right now and your life is pretty miserable. I, I don't know if you've had so much pain and you feel like you're just fleeing from one thing to another or if you have a life filled with regret or, or maybe if you have a peachy keen honky dory palace life. I, I don't know where you are in this story. But here's what I know. That if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, You have been purposed. And that God who created you, who knit you together in your mama's womb, is working that plan and that purpose in every detail of your life. He's not wasting one moment. and He's going to use it for good, for the saving of many people, Scripture says. He wants to turn your test into a testimony. He wants to turn your mess into a message. He wants to redeem every aspect of your life and use it for his glory. The question tonight remains, will you let him do that? I'm going to ask Ian to come and just close with a a song. But if you're continuing to study with us, we're going to look at chapter 3 next week. I've made a commitment that I'm going to take one chapter a week. Uh, Further, uh, deeper into Exodus, I'll take several chapters. But I promise you I'll at least get through one chapter a week. It's... It's killing me to do that, but um, I promise you that we will. And uh, next week going to be a really fun, fun week as we talk about the burning bush and just what it really means to encounter God, not just to know God, but to encounter him in your life. And that's what really changes us. And so uh, come back next week. Drive carefully on your way home, um, and I'll just have Ian close. Father, I thank you for every man and woman that's here tonight. Lord, they could have stayed at home in the comfort of their warm house and not uh, brave the snow and. Lord God, I thank you that they are hungry for you, and I pray that you'd stir up that hunger in your people, Lord God, that you would give us a heart that seeks hard after you, that you'd take us in deeper with you, not ankle deep, not knee deep. Lord, I pray that you'd take us in over our heads with you, that you would stir up a hunger and a passion for more of you, a hunger for your word, Lord God, uh, uh, deep within our soul that we can't contain and we can't even control. Lord, would you do that? Awaken us tonight, I pray, and bless each person here in Jesus' name. Amen.